men are dying. Much of India still dwells in darkness, ignorance, and idolatry. And if God has called you as a pastor, if God has called you as a preacher, if you believe that God wants you to serve him, you have a high, high calling. You have a great responsibility. And we have a great accountability one day in the presence of the living Christ. James put it this way, let not many of you be preachers, brethren, because you will incur a stricter judgment. Now that is not a judgment, of course, for salvation. The judgment of our salvation was accomplished by the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. And when he said, it is finished, all of our sins, past, present, and future were paid for. He suffered and bled and died to deliver us from the guilt and penalty of sin and to free us from the power and dominion of sin. And one day we will be totally freed from the presence and influence of sin. But there's another judgment. It's not a judgment for salvation. It is a judgment of our ministry, of our stewardship. And the question will be, were we faithful? Were we accurate? Were we diligent? Were we hardworking? Were we properly motivated? Were we willing to take up the cross? And were we willing to follow Christ and pay that price, no matter what it costs, no matter what the circumstance? And each of us here one day need to understand that we will stand before the living Christ and give an account for our ministry. If that is the case and you're a pastor in a church or you're training to be a pastor or you're an evangelist going out and preaching the gospel, you must have several very basic, important priorities. You cannot do many things. You can only do several things. And the Apostle Paul exhorted Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and in 2 Timothy chapter 4 what your priorities ought to be. And what your priorities are as a pastor or a preacher or a servant of the Lord in the church in India. And I would remind you, and I want simply to review a few things this morning before we begin to discuss the question why the church must be holy, to remind us of what our priorities are, and then to cover three basic things by way of introduction. And that is number one, actually what is the nature of biblical holiness? And number two, what is its, or why is it necessary in the life of the preacher and then number three, we need to make sure we understand what is the definition and characteristics of a biblical church. That is, what is true holiness? Why must you and I be growing in holiness? And what is a true biblical church? But you remember what the Apostle Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, the very familiar verse 16, where he told Timothy there are two very important things that must be the priority in your life. Notice there what he says, 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 16. Now the passage begins with this exhortation beginning in verse 11, down through verse 16. In verse 11, he tells that we must teach important 
things. Notice verse 12, he indicates Timothy's life and example in the church is a very crucial and important thing. In verses 13 and 14, he talks about Timothy's public ministry in reading the Word of God and expounding or explaining the Word of God and then applying the Word of God. And notice verse 15, the necessity of hard work, discipline, sacrifice, and laboring in the gospel. But notice verse 16, most particularly what he says, pay close attention to two things. What's the first thing he mentions here? Your life, your character, your testimony, your example. That is the first and most important thing. And then number two, what does he mention? Pay close attention to what? Your doctrine. That includes both the content of what you're preaching and the manner in which you are preaching. And if you pay close attention to those two things, it will have two results. What are the two results? Look what the verse says. Number one, what does it say? You will save yourself. And number two, you will save those that hear you. And if the Apostle Paul were here today, and he is here uh, through his writing here, and we trust by the Spirit of God, he would tell you and he would tell me the most important thing in your life is your life, your character, your example, your testimony, and number two, your doctrine. That is a proper understanding of the Word of God and clear teaching of the Word of God. And how do we influence people? We influence people by our life and by our teaching, by what we say and by what we do. And so what we say and what we do must be the same thing. If you say one thing and you do another thing, uh, you will be a hypocrite. If you have right doctrine, but you don't have a good life, then people will be confused. If you had good life, but you don't have right doctrine, then it will not be beneficial. If you have good life, a good doctrine, but you don't know how to clearly preach, people will not be able to understand. And if you have a good life, good doctrine, clear preaching, but you don't know where you're going, that is to establish biblical churches for the glory of God, and how do we establish biblical churches, and what are the characteristics of a biblical church, then you will not be able to attain that goal, which is the glory of God, by establishing the church of God based on the word of God and indwelt by the spirit and the power of God. So very quickly, we need to be reminded that your life, your character, your testimony, your example is the most important thing, not just on Sunday morning, but every day in every place, in your home, in your business, with your children, with your wife, in every area of life. The exhortation is, Peter says, be holy in all your behavior. So let us begin before we discuss why the church is to be holy, to mention three things by way of introduction. Number one, what is the nature of biblical holiness? Number two, why is it necessary in the life of the preacher? And then number three, what is? What is a local church biblically defined? Because we're talking about why the church must be holy. And so we need to understand what holiness is. 
We need to understand what a biblical church is, and we need to understand the priority of holiness, first of all, in our own life as to be an example and a testimony. Now, you have heard these things before. I trust you have preached them yourself, but I want to stir you up, as Peter said, by way of reminder, even though you know these things, and have been established in them, Peter said, so that after I depart, you will be able to call these things to mind. So our first point of introduction is very basically, what is the nature of biblical holiness? And as you study the Word of God in both the Old and the New Testament, you could categorize the definition of biblical holiness into two broad categories. Listen carefully. You are familiar with these things. One has to do, first of all, with a devoted or consecrated position. That is, one is devoted or consecrated and set apart for a particular purpose. The second is an actual moral and ethical condition. So one has to do with a new position. One is set apart and consecrated for a sacred or spiritual purpose, and the other has to do with our actual personal, moral, and ethical character. For example, under the first point, being set apart for a special purpose, not in reference to our character, but in reference to a new position. First time that word is used in the Bible is in the book of Genesis, where it says, on the seventh day the Lord rested, and he did two things to the seventh day. What did he do? Number one, he blessed it. He made it a blessing and a gift to man. And number two, what did he do? He sanctified it. And there is our word holy. That means that day was set apart for a special and peculiar purpose by God for man in which intensified communion and fellowship with God could be experienced. And perhaps the first full day of Adam's existence on earth was what day? The seventh day, indicating the priority, privilege, and blessing of communion with God as man's first priority, greatest privilege, and highest pleasure. That day was set apart for a special purpose. Another example is in Exodus 2, I believe. You remember Moses has been in the wilderness shepherding the sheep for 40 years. He's 80 years old now. And what does he see up on the side of the mountain? He sees a burning bush. And he said, I must turn aside to see this bush. And when he turns aside to see the bush, God says, Moses, Moses. And what's the first thing he told Moses to do? Take off the shoes from your feet. Why? Because the ground upon which you are standing is holy. Now let me ask you a question. Had that ground changed in any way from any other ground or dirt around it as to its physical makeup? Was it changed in its condition? It was simply a place that was set apart and peculiar where God came and met and spoke with Moses, that particular piece of ground was set apart for a sacred purpose whereby God would speak 
to Moses. Now, another example in the Old Testament is uh, the high priest. You remember in Exodus 28 where they describe the garments of the high priest, and he has a hat on his head, and there's something written across the front of his head. What does that say? Holy to the Lord. That is, this man that wore that hat was set apart and consecrated by God for a special and particular purpose. It wasn't a change in his nature or condition. It was a change in his position whereby he was taken out of the tribe of Levi, set apart for a particular purpose. And if you'll go through the Old Testament, you'll see again and again things are described as holy. The, uh, the clothes are holy. The offerings are holy. There's a place that is holy. The instruments used to serve in the temple were holy. There was no change in their nature. It simply meant they were set apart for a particular purpose. Now here's an interesting illustration from the Old Testament. The temple prostitutes of the Canaanite cult religion were described as being holy. Now how can a temple prostitute of the Canaanite cult religion be described as being holy? They were set apart for a particular purpose. In this case, it was a sinful purpose, but they were set apart. So the basic meaning of the word holy, first and foremost, was one that was set apart. The Apostle Paul said, I was set apart from my mother's womb. He said in Romans, I was set apart for the gospel of God. And you need to understand when a man becomes a Christian and when he's born again by the Spirit of God, there is something called definitive or positional sanctification, whereby at that moment he is set apart unto God. It doesn't change his nature, first of all. It changes his position. And if you are called of God, if you are a preacher, if you are a pastor, you need to understand that you are not your own. You've been bought with a price. You have been set apart by God. That doesn't mean that you're necessarily any more valuable. That doesn't mean you're any more holy. That doesn't mean that God needs you more than he needs other people. It means that God in his sovereignty has called you out of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son, he has sent the Holy Spirit to dwell within you, and he has taken you and set you apart to serve him. All Christians, regardless of their spiritual condition, in one sense, are holy. You understand what we're saying? Not just the preacher. Now, let me ask you a question. What church in the New Testament gave Paul the most headaches? probably the Corinthian church. They had all kind of problems. But if you'll read in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, right before verse 3, that Paul said, grace and peace to you through our Lord Jesus Christ, what does he call the Corinthians? He calls them saints. He calls them holy. Now, were they holy in their actual condition? No. They were holy in that they had been set apart by God. And so when we understand biblical holiness in the life 
of the preacher, you need to understand that you and I have been called by God and set apart to serve him. That doesn't mean, again, we're more valuable or useful. It is God's sovereign choice according to electing, redeeming, and sanctifying love that he has set us apart for the gospel. But obviously, number two, the nature of holiness also as you move through the scriptures into the New Testament, is that of a moral and ethical purity, a purity. It has to do with your condition. First definition of holiness has to do with a new position set apart for a sacred purpose. Second definition we're more familiar with is that of being morally and purely progressively growing into the image of Jesus Christ. There is in the Bible something we call positional sanctification, that all believers at the point of salvation are set apart to God. Then there's progressive sanctification, whereby like a baby taking in food, they begin to grow. And that process of growth into the image of Jesus Christ to bear the fruit of the Holy Spirit is what we call holiness. It is a moral and ethical purity in growing conformity to the Lord Jesus Christ, whereby you bear the fruit of the Spirit for the glory of God. It doesn't happen all at once. It is a process that develops. I trust that you all understand what we're talking about. All Christians are positionally holy but not all Christians are practically and experientially holy. Do you understand what we're saying? So you need to understand you are not your own. You have been bought with a price, and you are to glorify God in your body. So that's a basic definition of what you're already familiar of the nature of biblical holiness. Now, number two, very quickly, and more directly as it relates to us, the necessity of holiness in our own life. And I'm not talking about positional holiness. I'm talking about growing practical holiness. Why is holiness necessary in the life of the preacher? Again, let me review several points that you are already, I trust, familiar with. And so uh, we don't have time, at least in this introduction, to look at all the verses, but you can write them down and study them later yourself. Why is it necessary that you and I are growing as preachers and pastors and leaders in the church in practical, personal holiness, conformity to Jesus Christ? Let me give you several reasons. Number one, because God commands it, because it is his will, and it is according to his purpose. That is, it is God's command, it is God's will, and it is according to God's purpose. It is God's command. Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 1, 12 to 14, quoting Leviticus 16, where he says, uh, as obedient children, no longer be conformed to the former lusts that were yours in ignorance, but like the holy one who called you, be holy in all your behavior, because he himself has said, you are holy, or to be holy, because I am 
holy. Because the command of God as our loving Father, we are his obedient children, and he has put within us a desire to obey our Heavenly Father, and so we want to obey that command. So why is holiness important in your life? First of all, because you're a child of God, not a preacher, and because you're God, your Father, who made you, who created you, who chose you, who redeemed you, who sent the Holy Spirit within you, he calls you, commands you, exhorts you to be holy. So that's obviously the first reason that ought to press upon our conscience as men and as his preachers, it is according to God's commandment. Number two, it is according to God's will. First Thessalonians chapter four, this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. God's will is according to God's command, which is according to God's nature, God's will for each one of us is that we grow in personal holiness. Number three, it is according to God's purpose. Listen carefully. One God, three persons, one purpose, working together to accomplish God's purpose. What did God the Father do in Ephesians chapter 1? From all eternity, he chose us in Christ for what purpose? That we might be holy and blameless before him in love. It was the Father's good pleasure in the union of the Trinity before world was created to choose people out of a mass of sinless humanity, not just to be saved and pardoned from the guilt of their sin, but to be cleansed and purified from the power and dominion of our sin. So God's purpose, the Father in eternity past chose us that we might be holy and blameless before him. The Son, write this verse down, Titus chapter 2, he saved us. Not on the basis of deeds that we have done in righteousness, but by his washing and renewal of the Holy Spirit. And he redeemed us from every lawless deed to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good works. So the Father planned that we might actually be saved unto holiness in eternity past. The Son, by his death on the cross, died not just to save us from the guilt of sin, but from the power of and dominion of sin that is on the cross. He redeemed us from every lawless deed to purify a people. That means holiness. And then, of course, number three, the Holy Spirit. At the point of our salvation, we were chosen by God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit that we might obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. So I trust you're already familiar with these things, but I don't know your background or your understanding. But you need to understand that if you're a child of God, and especially if you are a preacher, the first reason holiness is necessary in your life is because it is according to the command, the will, and the purpose of God. You understand what we're saying? 
A second reason why holiness is important in your life, because it is a qualification for church leadership. It is a qualification for church leadership. And of course, you know the passages, 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1, where the Apostle Paul is speaking to Timothy and to Titus about the qualifications and responsibilities of the elders or the leaders in the church. And he mentions in those passages about 12, 13, 14, or 15 things, and only one of them has to do with gift, and that is he must be able to teach. And the remainder of those qualifications for leaders in the life of the church is that of character. And we could summarize it under these heads. His life must be blameless. His family must be in order. His doctrine must be accurate. And his gift must be obvious. But the primary emphasis and the qualification for your life and my life is that we must be growing in blameless character. And my question is, when's the last time you opened your Bible to 1 Timothy chapter 3 or Titus chapter 1 and got down on your knees and asked God to search your heart and examine your life to see if you are not only growing in these qualifications, but you are actually mature in these areas. Because listen carefully, this is a holy place. This is a holy book. God is a holy God. And if you want the influence and the power of the Spirit of God, your life, your character, your testimony, your example must be one of growing holiness, blamelessness. Now that doesn't mean you're perfect, but it means you are blameless. That is, no one can say this. Well, there's Brother Raj, he's a good man, but. Or there's Brother John, he's a good man, but. Or there's Brother Joe, he's a good man, but. Listen carefully, if you're going to serve God, there can't be any buts in your life, or in your ministry, or in your character, or in your home. Why is holiness necessary? Because it is a qualification for leadership, and we'll talk more about that later. But number three, why is holiness necessary? Because it's necessary for fruitfulness, fruitfulness. Write this verse down. Second uh, Timothy, Second Timothy in chapter 2. The Apostle Paul uses an illustration. Let's look at it. 2 Timothy chapter 2, very familiar illustration. We're trying to answer this question here by way of introduction. Why is holiness necessary in your life? It's one thing to understand it intellectually and to say amen with your mouth and to preach it to others. The question is, in your heart, in your conscience, in your life, when no one else sees and when no one else is around, are you cultivating and developing the habit and the discipline and the pattern of growing holiness? Second Timothy chapter 2, uh, Paul says this, verse 20, using a very familiar illustration. He says, in a large house, 
They're not only gold and silver vessels, but vessels of wood and of earthenware, some to honor and some to dishonor. Therefore, verse 21, if a man cleanses himself from these things, there'll be four results. Look what it says. Number one, what? He'll be a vessel of honor. Number two, what does it say? He will be sanctified. Number three, he will be, look at the verse, useful to the master. Number four, prepared or equipped for every good work. Now, what's Paul's meaning in this particular illustration? What is the house? The church of God. It's not a physical building. It's a spiritual house made up not of bricks, but of living stones that have been born again by the Spirit of God, all joined to one another and to Jesus Christ the head. The church is not a building. The church is the people in a particular place. So in a large house, he said, there are different kind of vessels. Let me ask you this. Who is the master of the house? It's Christ. He's the head of the church. He's the Lord of his people. He's the master of the house. He shed his own blood uh, to purchase the church. It belongs to him. He sent the Holy Spirit to indwell it. He is the master of the house. Now, who are the vessels here? That's the saints or the believers generally, and perhaps the preachers, the pastors, and the workers specifically. And so what is Paul seeking to say? Notice verse 21. If anyone cleanses himself from these things. Listen carefully. What did Jesus say to the Pharisees? He said, you're like uh, whitewashed tombs. On the outside, you are beautiful. But on the inside, you're full of dead men's bones. First, clean the outside of the cup. And then the inside will be pure. As I've said many times to some of you, you go to someone's house, they offer you tea, they pour it in the cup, you lift up the cup to drink it, and you look in the bottom of the cup and it's full of dirt and dust and bugs. Are you willing to drink that tea? Probably not. Now listen carefully, the pollution inside the cup waters down and dilutes the tea or the water. We are vessels, and therefore we must cleanse the inside of the cup that the pure water of the Word of God, when it goes into our heart and comes out of our mouth, will not be polluted, will not be distorted, will not be weakened, and will not come just right over the edge of the pulpit and fall right down. So Paul is basically saying this. Why is holiness necessary? It is necessary for usefulness. You understand what Paul is saying? We want to be gripped in our conscience in regards to the absolute necessity of deepening likeness to Jesus Christ and the life of the preacher. All problems in the church could be traced back many times to four main Problems. Number one, there's something wrong with the life of the preacher, his character, his testimony, his motives, his example. Number two, there's something wrong with the preacher's doctrine. He's not clear in his understanding of the Word of God. Art number three, there's something wrong with his preaching. He is not clear, he does not explain. 
It is not ordered. It is not direct. It is not applied. If something is wrong with his life or his doctrine or his preaching, or number four, he really doesn't know where he's going. If I ask you this question to write down in one sentence, what is the purpose of your ministry and the purpose of your church? Could you explain clearly, biblically, and responsibly what it is you are doing and how you're going to do it? If you don't know where you're going, and if you don't know how to get there, then you'll just wander around and preach and have programs, but never make any progress, never see people grow, never see the church advance and become useful and fruitful. It begins with you. People may not do what you say. They will do what you do. And listen carefully. If you don't have people's hearts and you don't have their conscience, they will listen to you and they'll sit there in the church like this and say, yes, amen, amen. But in their mind, uh-uh. Uh-uh. Why? Because something is wrong with the preacher. What you say and what you do must be the same thing. So let me just stop for a minute and ask this question. Is the inside of your cup clean in motive and thought and desire? Is your eye clean? Is your heart clean? Is your body clean? Are you growing in holiness? Are you guarding your soul? Are you keeping a good conscience? Are you guarding your mind? Are you disciplining your time? Are you keeping yourself in the love of Christ? Are you walking with God? Are you living on your knees? Do you know the presence and the power of the Spirit of God? Gift is not enough. Education is not enough. Understanding of right theology is not enough. What are the weapons of our warfare? A holy life, biblical truth, sacrificial love, and fervent prayer, and a holy example, and clear preaching, and genuine love, and sacrificial prayer are the methods, are the weapons that God has called us to use, and it begins with your life, and it begins with my life. Your eyes, your heart, your body, your thoughts, your motive, all of your behavior, and every area of life, in the context of your heart, and in the context of your home, must be growing and holiness. So if I had your wives here today and they were sitting right next to you and I asked them this question, let's turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1 and let's read through these qualifications and characteristics and I would ask the wife, is your husband this kind of man? And with judgment day honesty, what would she say? What would she say? Because the real test is what a man does in secret and what a man does in his home. In fact, the Bible says if you're not growing in holiness and if you're not managing your home and if you're not loving with your wife and you don't live with her in an understanding way, your prayers will be hindered and ultimately you are not qualified to stand in this place. Why is holiness necessary? God commands it. It's a qualification for leadership, and it makes you useful. Now listen carefully. You may get men's ears, but that's not enough. 
You may get their ears, but that's not enough. If you want to reach Indian people, you must reach their heart and you must reach their conscience. And if you cannot reach their heart and you cannot reach their conscience, they will sit there Sunday after Sunday and nod their head in agreement, but their life will not change. How do you reach a man's conscience? Yes, by the word of God, but listen carefully by your own credibility. You know that word, your own example, your own testimony. So Paul said this, not only do I strive to keep a good conscience continually before God and man, but he said, I commend myself to every man's conscience in the sight of God. What did he mean by that? He meant my life is an open book known and read by all men. Look at my life. Look at my character. Look at my conduct. Look at my faith. Look at my love. And he commended himself to men's conscience so that men that heard him in their conscience, their conscience told them this, that man is a sincere man. That man is a holy man. And what he says and what he does is the same thing. We don't want to be like the Pharisees where Jesus said, you know the Pharisees do what they say, but do not do what they do. If you're going to preach what you say and what you do, must be the same thing. So when we talk about the church being holy, it begins with you, and it begins with me. So is there anyone in this group this morning, is there anyone in this group that is hiding secret sin, unmortified pride, unmortified lust, an anger spirit, a love of money, looking at things and pornography on the internet and on your iPhone that you ought not look at. Listen carefully. In judgment day honesty, is there any man in this room that is hiding secret sin? I didn't say talking about ordinary weaknesses, but I'm talking about unconfessed, unmortified sin that is set like a cancer on your soul for such a long time that the Spirit of God is grieved and has flown away. And when you stand up to preach, it's just gift, it's just knowledge, it's just education, but there's no power, there's no authority, there's no holy unction by the Spirit of God because he has been grieved by unconfessed, hidden, secret, unmortified sin in the life of the preacher. In the sight of God, according to the word of God, in light of the fact that you and I will stand before Jesus Christ, answer before God. Guard your heart. Guard your conscience. Guard your eyes. Guard your hands. Guard your marriage. Love your wife. Care for your children. You neglect your wife. You neglect your children. The Bible says your prayers will be hindered. First Peter 3, verse 7. My friends, if you're a preacher and your prayers are hindered, you are in trouble. And what hinders the Spirit of God? A lack of growing holiness in the life of the preacher. Now I'm closing in on 70 years of age. And I've been a Christian 50 years, and I've been preaching a long time. 
But I know in my life and in the lives of all the men I talk with, the great, great need is for my and your deepening practical personal holiness and purity. In your thoughts of your mind, the motives of your heart, the testimony of your conscience, and the brokenness of your will. Listen carefully. Holy men have a cleansed mind. They have a pure heart. They have a sensitive conscience, and they have a broken will. A broken will. Is your will broken? Is your conscience clean? Is your heart being purified? Listen carefully. Your church's greatest need is your holy example. Your church's greatest need is your clear preaching. Your church's greatest need is your fervent prayer. Your church's greatest need is your sacrificial love. Did you hear me? Holiness, truth, prayer, and love. Holiness, truth, prayer, and love. Those are the weapons of our warfare. And if you are not growing in holiness, you can preach for a hundred years. And there's no power, there's no authority, there's no unction, there's no help, there's no influence. It's like throwing cotton balls at people. Have you ever thrown a cotton ball? Where does it go? A lot of preachings like that. It doesn't reach the heart. But when a man is growing in holiness and the inside of the cup is clean and the word of God is coming through his life in an undiluted, unadulterated, pure, unpolluted manner, then there will be influence. There will be power. He may speak with a loud voice. He may speak with a quiet voice. But whether he speaks with a loud voice or a quiet voice, there's power, there's authority, there's unction, there's influence by the Spirit of God because he has lived in the presence of God. He has lived on his knees. He is living in fellowship with Jesus Christ. And he knows the power and the influence of the Spirit of God in his life. Listen, my friends. The first foundational, most essential, important thing in your ministry is not your gift, not your preaching, not your education. It is your personal life. It is your character. It is your example. It is your testimony. It is your growing conformity to the Jesus Christ so that when you come out of prayer and stand in this place, you're like Moses coming down from the mountain and the glory of the living God is etched upon our soul and a reflection of the life of Jesus Christ because we have lived in the presence of God. Are you living in prayer? Are you living on your knees? Are you walking with God? Are you keeping a good conscience? Why is holiness necessary in your life? Because your Father commanded it. Because the Word of God requires it. And because if you want to be useful and you want to be fruitful and you want the power and influence of God and you want credibility, credibility, credibility. I pastored a church for about 20 years. I've told this story often. On the front row of the church for 20 years, my wife, my daughter, and my two sons. Uh, now my daughter is almost 47. And my son is 45, and my other son is 43. And they heard me preach for 20 years, from the time they were peewees, all the way up to when they were older. 
And if my wife and my daughter and my two sons were sitting here today and you asked them this question, your father, your husband, was he a holy man? They would say this, my husband and my father, he wasn't perfect. He wasn't perfect. And we saw his sin. But what he said publicly is how he lived privately. What he said publicly is how he lived privately. And I have their conscience, not by gift, not by utterance, not by education. I have their conscience. My friends, if you don't have your wife's conscience, if you don't have your children's conscience, if you don't have the people in your church their conscience, then the word of God will not penetrate to their heart and you get their conscience by your life, your credibility. So when you stand up to preach, they say yes with their head and yes in their heart because what you say and what you do is the same thing. And if you wanna reach their heart, it's got to be by love, sacrificial, Christ-like, spirit-empowered love. And if you don't love people, and if you don't spend time with people, and if you don't care for people, many preachers love to preach. They like to stand in this place and preach, but they don't love people. They don't spend time with people. They don't talk to people. Listen, if you want to see your church growing in holiness, then your life, your example, your pastoring, your preaching, your testimony is the most important thing. And that's why holiness is important. And India's great need is the same need you see in America or Africa or China or South America. Holy men with right doctrine and clear preaching that are shepherding and pastoring the church of God, leading them not like a big boss, leading them not with a whip behind them, beating them like sheep, but leading them by example. Paul said this, follow my example as I follow Jesus Christ. Many preachers get up and say this, well, don't, don't, don't follow my example, don't follow me. No, 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 don't follow. Don't look at me, don't, don't follow me, look at Christ. Well, in one sense of the word, that's true, right? We are to fix our eyes upon Jesus. But I would remind you that the Apostle Paul said on numerous occasions, look at my life, look at my example, look at my conduct, my faith, my love, my teaching. And what you have learned, what you have heard, what you have received, and what you have seen in me, do these things. And the God of power and peace and grace will be with you. Did you hear those four things? What you have learned, what you have heard, what you have received, and what was the last one? What you have seen. How do you influence people? By what you say and by what you do. And if you can't say these words, follow me as I follow Christ, you don't need to stand in this place. What is holiness? It is being set apart to God. And everyone in this room, if you're a preacher, has been set apart to God. 
And number two, what is holiness? It is actual change of our condition in which we are growing into the image of Jesus Christ. Why is it necessary? God commanded it. It's a qualification for leadership. And when you choose your leaders, you do not choose according to just gift. You do not choose according to just eloquence. You do not choose according to education. You don't choose according to favoritism. You don't choose according to who has the most money. How do you choose the leaders in the church? You choose them according to the word of God. And if you are going to see other men raised up in your church as elders, or fellow pastors, you cannot compromise. You must be controlled by the word of God. The apostle Paul says, don't lay your hands too quickly on any man. And the problem with India is a young man comes along, he's got an ability to speak, he's been to seminary, he's got a little gift, he goes to the church, he says, I want to be a preacher. They say, that's wonderful, God has called you. They put their hands upon him and he begins to preach. No experience, no practical knowledge, no testing or proven worth in the context of the church. Listen carefully. Don't lay your hands too quickly on any man. Look at the word of God. Examine their life in the context of the church of God. See if there is the fruit of the spirit in their life. Choose your leaders over time testing according to the word of God. And if you'll do that, you'll save yourself a lot of trouble and you will see in India a whole new generation of young men that live in the presence of God, that understand the truth of God, can clearly teach the word of God and have a burden and a heart for the church of God. That's your priority, your life, your doctrine, your preaching, and your church. And if the church is going to be holy, it begins with you. It begins with you.